the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Antithesis Summer Season. For the next several weeks, we're going to release episodes that are previously released on this podcast from the 2021-22 recording season. We're doing so because we want to highlight some of the year's most tangible content. I pray that this work will equip you and strengthen you and remind you of the truth of God in these evil days. There is an absolute antithesis between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of darkness. Our prayer here on the Antithesis and on the Bar Network by extension is that we can help equip you and your loved ones to know God's truth, stand for God's truth, and watch as God works among us in wonderful ways. Enjoy this re-released episode, and God bless you. Welcome to the Antithesis. If the government says to do it, as a Christian, do you have to follow? In today's podcast, we need to address this matter. We need to think well from Scripture about how Christians engage governments, government mandates, government decrees that we may agree with, disagree with, even find directly contrary to Scripture. In starting, let's go to Romans 13. Romans 13 verse 1 reads this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Whoever resists the authorities, therefore, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This is the passage that is most commonly cited when we talk about the following issues that are live ammo today. Must Christians wear masks? Should churches shut down in this pandemic season if the government says they must? How should we think through vaccines? If your employer mandates that you take the vaccine against COVID, do you have to do that? It is very clear at the outset that the Apostle Paul has no small and glancing opinion on submission to authorities. Fundamentally, Christians are called to submit to governing authorities. This authority comes from God. Authorities that exist, Romans 13, 1, it is very clear, have been instituted by God. So when it comes to authority in this world, we do not have grounds in biblical terms for seeing authority as poisonous and evil fundamentally. We know, even from this passage, that rulers will err. We have numerous examples, some of which we will be covering in just a few minutes, in Scripture of evil authorities. But it would be a wrong conclusion 
based on this passage, as a Christian, to think that all authority is bad. It's actually the opposite. You are supposed to see authority, including governing authority, the state, as instituted by God and therefore part of God's common grace in this world. If you resist the authorities, you resist what God has appointed, Paul says in verse 2. Rulers are appointed to terrorize, verse 3, bad conduct. It is right that sinful humanity live in fear of rulers for wrongdoing. If you don't want to live in fear, verse 3, the end, then you need to do what is good. The ruler is, verse 4, God's servant for your good. The servant of God at the end of the verse, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The Apostle Paul later on in this passage goes on to apply this to taxation. We do not have grounds because we disagree with Caesar, with the ruler, for opting out of taxation. That's the clear implication of this passage. This is a very important passage for us to discuss at the outset because, as I say, it is really the one that has dominated discussion in the last year or so over what Christians do in response to government decrees with regard to health mandates and other matters. Clearly, Romans 13 teaches this principle that you should mark down. It teaches that we should do all we can to obey authority in the context in which we live. We should do everything we can. We're not looking for opportunities to disobey as believers. We're not fundamentally trying to undermine established governmental authority as Christians. It's the opposite instinct. We're trying to do all we can to live at peace with all men, to borrow from another passage, and going back to Romans 13, 1 to 4, to be subject to governing authorities. So that is an important presuppositional principle for us to start out with. We're not against government fundamentally as believers. We are for it to the fullest possible extent. Having laid that out, now let's think about some instances from the Bible itself, the inerrant, inspired, authoritative, sufficient, and morally perfect Word of God, that we won't say complicate this picture, but definitely expand it and fill it out, showing us that Romans 13 has to be handled with care and is not a club to be deployed in online social media debates as if simply citing Romans 13 closes down all discussion. Romans 13 is a wondrously good passage, but there's actually a good deal of biblical texture on this very question of how the believer, the Christian in New Testamental terms, handles government decrees, decisions, and even mandates. Let's go all the way back to Joshua 2. In Joshua 2, we know that there are spies who have been sent out, Caleb and Joshua, others, to look at the promised land. And in Joshua 2-3, we find out that the king of Jericho has found out that there are spies, Israelite spies, in the land. Let's pick up in Joshua 2, verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. 
but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. What is happening here? What's happening here is that Rahab, a a non-Jewish, non-Israelite prostitute, is acting righteously. If there's any doubt about this, Hebrews 11 will commend Rahab for these very actions, for what she is doing in the passage I just engaged. What does this tell us? This tells us that Rahab does not obey the king of Jericho. Rahab does not give the full truth to the king, to his authorities. Instead, Rahab leads them a different direction, even says she doesn't know where the men went. (laughs) She absolutely knows where the men went. Joshua 2.6 tells us that she brought them up to the roof. So it is impossible that the king's authority, the king's forces, would overtake the men because the men are currently lying in stalks of flax on Rahab's roof. This is an early indication that there are going to be times for the follower of God, and Rahab is an unexpected follower of God, yes, where we do not obey the established authority. In saying this, we're not saying that Christians should leap to find such instances. This is a very bad situation. Those who are following the Lord are going to be killed if Rahab tells the unblushing truth of their location to the king of Jericho's men. This is a difficult spot. Note this carefully as a Christian. It has always been hard to follow the Lord, to follow the one true living God. This has not been an uncomplicated matter. Following God in a fallen world means a lot of hardship and complication and even danger. To be a Christian moving this ahead to a New Testamental faith, is a dangerous thing. That's not the way we think about the Christian faith. But when you map the followers of God in their wild journey to obey the king, the true king, the king of heaven and earth, you see throughout Scripture that it is no light and glancing thing. Instead, it's a difficult journey, but it's a glorious one. Clearly, The Bible gives no censure or condemnation of Rahab for not obeying governmental authorities on the spot and telling them where the Israelite spies are. So we have an early indication that there is a principle threaded throughout the Bible of the followers of God not going with the mandates, the decrees, the commands of secular kings. You see this as well and Daniel 6. You see this in many places. We're just going to go to a few. There's much more ground we could cover. But in Daniel 6, 6 to 10, we come to one of the most famous passages of the Old Testament, where it is decreed through an entrapment of the king that it is illegal for followers of the biblical God, the Israelite God, to pray to that God. Let me read it. Daniel 6, 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, 
establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the, in, signed the document and injunction. Daniel 6.10 When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This passage shows us that that thread of principled resistance and disobedience to ungodly authority continues in the Old Testament. Whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So what is happening? What is happening is that the officials in this passage are making it illegal to pray to the one true living God. They put it into law. There is an injunction. There is a signed document. (laughs) The treasured uh, possession of bureaucrats everywhere. Then and now, there's an official statement. Prayer to the Israelite God, the covenant God of the Old Testament, is illegal. Daniel knows this. The text could not be clearer. Daniel knew that the document had been signed, Daniel 6.10. He went straight to his house. He didn't go to the quiet and hidden part of his house. He went by the window. He got down on his knees And he prayed, and lots of people saw him, as the passage goes on to show. Here, then, is another sign that following God, A, is a dangerous proposition, and B, is going to mean conflict with ungodly laws and ungodly authorities. To be very clear, authorities and laws are going to be in place that should not be in place. Mandates and injunctions are going to be handed down that are unjust and unlawful. Though they come in the form of law, they are not God's law. They are not just law. They are unjust laws. And Daniel's immediate response to these laws is not to bow down, is not to obey them, is not to follow the mandate. Daniel immediately disobeys. Is this because Daniel had a rabble-rousing spirit that excites those of us who think bad boys and outlaws are really cool? No. It is because Daniel is an absolutely earnest follower of the covenant God. Daniel knows his God, loves his God, and gives thanks to his God. Daniel is is not being a hot-blooded, macho man in this passage. Daniel is being a self-controlled, disciplined, earnest, faithful follower of of the God of heaven and earth. That is what is taking place in Daniel 6. Daniel is acting righteously. Daniel is obeying his God. He is not doing so in even a hostile way in this passage, but he is doing so unequivocally. Are you paying attention to the witness and the teaching narratively here of Scripture? 
Daniel does what is right. Daniel should not have obeyed this evil decree. This is a wicked decree that you could not pray to the true God. And Daniel defies it. You could almost say that Daniel defies tyranny. Indeed, he does. Let's move ahead to the New Testament. Acts 5, 27 to 29. The early church, the apostles are preaching and teaching the gospel. They're being bold and convictional and unabashed that Jesus is the Savior, and there is no salvation in any other name. And they get in very hot water for their preaching. Here again, two threads. The first thread, it is hard to be a God-following believer. It is not easy. It is no picnic. It puts you in direct conflict with civil authorities. I am shocked before I dive into this passage at how little acknowledgement of this reality there is in evangelical and even reformed circles. This doesn't solve every question. It doesn't, it doesn't immediately resolve every gray area. I don't mean that it does. But it is worth noting that the Bible is showing us over and over again in both Testaments that following the true God is going to mean hardship. It does not mean popularity. It does not mean ease. It does not mean that people like you. It does not mean that your behavior maps neatly and perfectly with the behavior of unbelievers. To the contrary, following the decrees and mandates of the Almighty puts you in direct and polar opposite territory of unbelievers. Your walk is not the walk of the unbeliever. Your life, your societal standing is very, very different. There are going to be all sorts of places where your citizenship in an earthly sense, in whatever society or country you are, looks a lot like how other people around you who do not know Christ act and operate. That's true. But repeatedly, the scripture surfaces the clear teaching that following God is going to mean conflict in this world. It means that you draw fire. It means that you are hated. It means that you are not obeying what you are called to obey. Acts 5.27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, the name of Christ, that is. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29 We must obey God rather than men. If we are putting the passages together that I have cited already, like Romans 13, are we to understand Acts 5.29 and Romans 13 as conflicting, as not working together, as, as saying different things that can't be reconciled? Well, that would be a possible interpretation, but it would be an absolutely wrong one. No, instead, what we are seeing here is that it is absolutely essential that we do all we can to obey established governmental authority as Christians. But we see, secondly, that there is a higher law and a higher calling, and it is to obey God rather than men. You do as much as you can 
to obey men as a Christian. That is part of your testimony and your witness. You are not going out of your way to rabble-rouse. You are not going out of your way in foolish terms to be hated. You are seeking to be a spirit-filled, fruits-of-the-spirit-bearing Christian at all times and in all places. But then, as a Christian, as a follower of God in a broader biblical sense, there are going to be lots of instances, perhaps, for some of us at least, where your faith, your obedience to God, conflicts with your obedience to governments, to men, to authorities. And in those instances, you are to do what Peter and the apostles said they were going to do, and indeed what they did. And you need to obey God. You need to obey God straightforwardly, immediately, and with an absolutely clear conscience. Are there hard questions that we face particularly when obedience to men is mingled with health concerns, as in our day. Yes, there are hard questions. And honestly, just speaking uh, personally for a moment, I have real sympathy for pastors and elders who are trying and have been trying for a good long while to navigate these matters. And I want to recognize that we will not line up in all the same places in striving to be obedient to Christ, to God, if we simply have these principles laid out. We are just not going to agree on all points of application. We're not. And I think we want to be careful about anathematizing one another. But this point from this text stands nonetheless. It is right to obey men. It is right to obey governments and authorities. But there is a higher obedience. In fact, these things aren't irreconcilable. When you are obeying governmental authority... You are obeying God. That is part of your obedience to God. There is actually a much higher king or authority behind the earthly ruler you are following. The earthly ruler, then, may think that you are like all his other citizens who think he's the highest authority if they don't believe in God, if they don't follow God in a meaningful way. But you as a Christian in obeying your authority at whatever level, local or federal or national, whatever it may be, you are actually obeying a higher authority than that ruler. That ruler may not know that, but that is true of Christians. Christians, therefore, are always saying and standing for two things. We're standing for obedience to established authorities from God, so we're not anarchists at all. We must not be. We don't support that. But then secondly, we have a higher call that we are always actually fulfilling and following when we are obeying earthly authority. And that call, as I am at pains to say, is following God, obeying God, which is of infinitely greater significance to the Christian than any earthly authority. And this is because, last text, before we synthesize these matters, Colossians 1. What does Colossians 1, 15 to 18 show us? It shows us how glorious Christ is. Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. There's that word. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, then in everything he might be preeminent. So much to unpack here, but suffice it to say that this passage neatly puts a bow, I think, on what we have been talking about. Every ruler, every authority, visible or otherwise, in this earth has been created by Christ. Christ is the executor of creation. And this means that he is before all things, and he is the one who holds all things together. So, no ruler is at the level of Christ in practical form. No one is on par with Christ. No one is just below Christ a little bit. No, again, there is an infinite gap. There's specifically the creator-creature distinction between Christ and every ruler, every authority. No one comes within 10,000 miles of Christ's rulership. And then we see in verse 18 that Christ is the head of the church. So no earthly king, ruler, uh, prime minister, president, or any other role is the head of the church. This is absolutely crucial to understand. Yes, there is a kind of temporary civil authority that rulers have, over all citizens, including Christians, in this life. But ultimately, the church is not headed up by any man. No man is head of the body. No sinner has that claim or that title. Jesus Christ, the God-man, truly God and truly man, is the head of the church. No one else comes within, I repeat myself, 10,000 miles of that role. Now, earthly rulers often get this confused, don't they? They often think they run the church. They often think the church is a part of their domain. It is true that Christian churches, I'm not speaking of all religions here. We could have another conversation about that. It is true that Christians live in countries and nations and states and communities. And it is true that they are called as much as they can, here's that principle again from Romans 13, to live at peace with all men and to respect and even follow earthly authority. But it is not the case that a local magistrate or a state magistrate in American terms or a president or anyone else is the head of the church. There is only one head of the church, Jesus Christ. Jesus bought the church with his blood. Jesus owns the church. No one else has that claim. No one else has that title. So remember this. Remember this in evil days like ours, when the government, in at least some societies, perhaps many increasingly, thinks that it runs, rules, and regulates the church. No, only Christ runs, rules, and regulates the church through his word, by the power of his spirit. So you must understand this. If you do not understand this, you will be liable to cede headship of the church, at least in practical and functional form, to a magistrate, a ruler, a prime minister, a president, or some other earthly figure who has no right to that title. In all this, then, what are we saying? Well, two things, and then I want to conclude with some closing considerations. We're saying that obedience to God matters most. Obedience to God comes before all and is above all. That is your calling. Included in that calling to obey God comes obedience to various appointed and established authorities given to us by the Father in the world that he has made through his Son. 
In all this, however, we are always confessing as Christians that obedience to God is our mandate, is our task. It is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We are seeking to observe and obey all that Christ commanded us, all that the biblical authors, particularly the New Covenant authors from a New Covenant perspective, have commanded us, have established. Obedience to God matters most. Second, we do face a key question then. Does government have the right to enforce a given rule, mandate, decree? Does government have the right to enforce this? It is not, in other words, in my mind, in my theological system, automatic that anything the government says we would automatically do. Why? Because we have seen already in Scripture there are numerous instances. We just, we just went to a few This is a short podcast, or at least relatively so, given what we could cover. We saw in those instances that there were clear mandates and decrees that came with iron human authority that believers, followers of the true God in the broadest biblical sense, did not obey. That shows us that there are clearly rules, mandates, and decrees that we do not follow. I trust you are hearing that as clear as you can. There are going in a fallen world with fallen rulers and fallen authorities, sin all around us. There are going to be commands, mandates, and decrees that government doesn't have the right to force us to obey. Those two principles matter greatly, and if we could just fix those two principles in our mind, we would not resolve every hard question. We wouldn't agree on every particular. But we as Christians would would really move the ball down the field in trying to figure out, as it seems many governments are embracing more of a totalitarian approach, how to be a Christian in a meaningful sense in days ahead. Let's move then to some considerations based on the preceding. I have seven. I'm going to go rapidly, and I'm going to make some specific application. First, it's always been hard to follow Christ in a fallen world, to follow God in an Old Testamental sense. It's always been hard to do this. It's never been easy. It's not easy now. Do not expect that if you are following Christ, if you are having your daily devotional time, if you are a a nice Christian person, that your life is going to roll out elegantly like, like a carpet, and you will have no difficulty in the world. If you are having no difficulty in the world at some level, you should start to question yourself. You should start to ask if the reason you're not facing any persecution is because the world sees nothing in you to persecute. If you are following Christ, there are going to be sparks that fly. There is going to be challenges and hardships. So know this. Expect this. Don't go blood-hungry pursuing this, but recognize that faithful obedience to Christ will mean that the world bears down on you. That is not because, in many instances, you have done something wrong. It is because you have done something right. Second, you should strive to follow authorities. Do all you can to obey the government. Do all you can, 1 Timothy 2, 1-5, to to live at peace with all men, 
Pray for kings and rulers and authorities in power over you. Don't be an idiot. There's a deep theological takeaway. Don't try to cause conflict for no good reason. Again, do everything you can to follow and and obey authorities. That's part of your testimony and your witness as a believer. Third, your ultimate allegiance is to God, not man. I have stressed this at pains already. I won't try to beat the nail into the wood and break the wood. You can tell I have extensive carpenter-based experience here. Your ultimate allegiance is not to man. It is to God. That shapes not simply these hard questions on vaccines and masks and church. That shapes all your life. You don't follow any person, ultimately. You follow God. Only God deserves worship in the highest sense. No one else deserves worship at all. Only God does. If you're God, you deserve worship and obedience and allegiance, unquestioningly. And that's what God has. Fourth, know this as well. You're going to face hard questions and gray areas in this world. You facing them now in your employment, in your workplace, in your school, in your family, in your community, is not a sign that your Christian faith has been hijacked and is going awry. In many instances, where we're not talking about your sin or my sin, you're facing those hard questions precisely because you are seeking to follow God. Because God's grace has seized you, saved you, is sanctifying you, and will continue sanctifying you until the end of your life. You're facing hard questions because this world is not calibrated for an easy Christian life. This is a fallen world. This is a sinful world. Being a Christian, being out of the world, so to speak, in spiritual terms, means that you are going to face hard questions. Because the world's calibrations, the world's settings, are toward fallenness and sinfulness, not towards faithfulness and Christ-likeness. Fifth, the government cannot mandate what you do with your body. This is all now building from the preceding. Now I'm moving into clear application from what has come before, and I'm trying to connect some dots, so let that be said. If the government came to me and said I needed to cut off my right arm, I would not follow it. The government cannot mandate that. If the government came to me and said, I cannot drive my car at certain times of the day, that is not a biblical mandate. If the government said to you and me that we need to walk around with our eyes closed for 10 minutes per day, the government cannot mandate that. The government cannot mandate what you and I do with our body. The government does not own our body. The government has no authority over our body, over the decisions we make for our body. Therefore, to get to the question some of you have been wondering about this entire little podcast, I do not believe that it is just in any sense for the government or any authority for your workplace, your employer, the military to mandate that you get the vaccine against COVID. I'm not about to do a deep dive on the vaccine. There's all sorts of things to say about the vaccine. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor. I see and hear very troubling things about the vaccine. I hear reports of people who get the vaccine and then get sick, get COVID. I have heard numerous stories about people who get the vaccine and die. 
I hear stories about those who get the vaccine and then have all sorts of problems but don't die. I hear stories about people, many of them, who get the vaccine and have no effects. I believe that it is up to you to get the vaccine or not. I believe that is your decision. I would say that I can uh, ascertain that the vaccine is experimental at this time. And so those who would take the vaccine are not taking uh, a vaccine that has been tested in lots of trials over a long haul so that we know its effects and we know what to expect from it across the board as much as we can anyway. So I am not seeking to come here and say the vaccine is perfect or the vaccine is antichrist. I do not feel that there has been established proof that the vaccine is trustworthy and even needed. That is my own sense of this matter. But I can say this for sure. I can say this, I believe, standing on Scripture, working from it, two conclusions, that the government has no right and your employer has no right to mandate that you get a vaccine. Frankly, this is not because of outcomes with the vaccine. That was all grist for the mill that I mentioned just a moment ago. I think that matters. I think the experimental nature of the vaccine is is a significant reality. I think the possibility that there are fetal cells that have been used to develop the vaccine is a very serious consideration, very serious morally. So I'm taking into account all these things. But frankly, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not looking at all this established data before me, and, and I'm not able to read that as a doctor is able to read that. Frankly, doctors, Christian doctors, disagree over the vaccine. I, I understand that people are going to disagree over the vaccine. I do not push people at all to get the vaccine. It seems to me that immunity that you get from getting COVID gives you a very serious and significant resistance to COVID. And it seems that there is a very, very high recovery rate of those who get COVID. So I do not believe that a lot of the measures that have been enforced in our society in America and many others have been necessary in the least. Let that be said as well. But again, going back to the core principle at hand, the core discussion, debate at hand, whatever you think about the vaccine, whatever you're facing as a Christian, I'm talking to Christians here, I do not believe that your employer or your government has the right to mandate you taking an experimental vaccine. The government does not have such authority. Sixth, the government cannot regulate the worship of the church. So these matters mean that I believe that you should not be forced into taking the vaccine, just to summarize here, that if you are being compelled by your employer or your government, military, whatever it may be, to take the vaccine, that you are right to resist this on grounds of exemption, talk to a lawyer, talk to Alliance Defending Freedom, talk to related outfits like that, uh, talk to a public official who has access to those who can help you formulate a position here. I don't think you should immediately resign. I think you should first resist 
these mandates. And then I believe you should go to court over them. I do not believe you should simply resign your job if you do not want to take the vaccine, but instead that you should push back through exemption for your faith, religious exemption. And then if that is not received well, that you should sue. That's what I think you should do. I do not think you are sinning in doing so. I think you are actually acting righteously in doing so because you are pushing back against the encroachment of authority in a matter that the employer you serve or the government you are under does not have justly and rightly. In similar terms, the sixth consideration, the government cannot regulate the worship of the church. I'm not going to spell this out at length. I have talked about this in months past, but I will put an underline here and say, as in days past, Christ is the head of the church. Your governor, your mayor, certainly the president of this nation in American terms, cannot and does not regulate church worship, nor does the government or any authority have the right to shut worship down. I believe that when we look at Scripture, certainly, and then when we look at church history, the the Reformers, the Puritans, for example, we see that actually Christians are not called to head for the hills in times of sickness and plague and disease. But these are times when we see, perhaps with even greater clarity than other times, in God's providence, just how needed the church is. My encouragement to you, if you are a pastor or an elder, in days ahead, if there is a push that comes locally or federally, wherever you are, America or beyond, to shut down your church, I would encourage you not to do so. I would encourage you to remember the headship of Christ over the church. I would encourage you to see that you must obey God rather than men. The sheep need the church. We need God. We need preaching. We need to sing songs. We need to pray together. We must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the book of Hebrews says. And all this is staked upon the reality that we must obey God rather than men. Some governments may be totally fine with Christian worship. They may be good with it. Other governments may not be good with it. That puts Christians in tough circumstances and, yes, introduces some hard questions and some gray areas. But here again, whatever form your worship takes, do not let the government shut it down. It is absolutely commanded from heaven itself that we would worship God as Christians. Caesar has no right to foreclose the worship of the living God. There is no clause in Scripture that would allow such a stance on the part of the government in justifiable terms, and there is no call anywhere in the New Testament for churches to close simply because there is public opposition to the church. The very gravity, the very momentum of the apostolic mission in the book of Acts goes the exact opposite way and teaches us that no matter what we may face, we are righteous in meeting to worship Christ because of his headship and then in a secondary sense because we need it desperately, because we ourselves as believers 
must be built up in the faith through congregational worship. And then because we also very much desire that unbelievers would continue to be able to enter the worship of the church and by God's grace become a disciple of Christ. Seventh and finally today, be prepared for hard times ahead. Don't be prepared for easy times. It looks like there is rising totalitarianism in our world. I saw video this week of police forces checking vaccine passports, as they're called, in Paris, France. I would expect that these trends may continue. I would expect there may be mask mandates to come. I do not want to train you in any sense, whatever limited sense I can, through a podcast, to be a rabble-rouser, to be a Christian uh, goofball or anarchist or something like this. But I do want you to know that ultimately you do all you can to obey the government, but obedience to God matters most. And a key question you and I face now and in days to come, I'm sure, is does government have the right to enforce this rule? Does government have the right to mandate what you do with your body? Does government have the right to regulate the worship of the church? I believe the government has no such right on either of these matters. And that is going to mean, I would predict, that we are going to be in the case of Rahab and Daniel and the apostles and Acts, and we are going to face the consequences that come from disobeying unjust decrees, laws, and mandates. We will not disobey out of a pugnacious, worldly, sinful spirit. We will need to disobey in a righteous, above-board, even respectful manner. But nonetheless, we must say with the early church words from the very Bible itself. We must obey God rather than men. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.